Welcome back to Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed. I am one of your hosts, Kisa Holke. And I'm your other host, Renee Rethel. Today's episode is called Listen to Albert Tate on the Church. Yes, and it's a pleasure, as I said, to have you on the show today. Thanks for coming on our humble little podcast here. Well, I'm so excited to be here. For those of you unfamiliar with Pastor Tate, which I don't know how many people are left that are unfamiliar with Pastor Tate, but we're going to fill you in on who this brother is. He is the founding pastor of Fellowship Church in Monrovia, California, one of the fastest growing multi-ethnic churches in the United States. Albert and his wife, LaRosa, launched Fellowship Monrovia in January 2012. In its short history, this gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, intergenerational church has already established a solid foothold in the California region for life transformation to the glory and honor of Christ. And uh, as a dynamic communicator, Albert is passionate about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, both to the local church and the global community. Blending the power of storytelling with a good sense of humor, Albert enjoys illustrating God's amazing grace and love in church, academic, and conference settings. Albert and LaRosa have four beautiful children. Albert serves on the Board of Trustees at Azusa Pacific University, the Global Leadership Network, and Global Church Planning Organization, Stadia. He was recently published in Letters to a Birmingham Jail, a response to the words and dreams of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and in 2018 launched the Albert Tate Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so honored and excited that you're here. Yo, so excited to be here. What's up, y'all? Y'all good? That's right, we're living the dream. Good, good, good. good. We are good. Two mamas. Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. Let's go. All right. So we'll share with our listeners that Renee and I were introduced to you uh, through our local church here in Kentucky. And we're so thankful that we were. You've truly been a lifeline during the season of racial unrest. You have unashamedly called out racism and white supremacist ideas and how they had infiltrated the church and had the need to be discipled uh, out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And ever since last summer, you've been tackling these issues head on. Um, Keith and I are both mothers to Black children. And so we've listened to your yes. daily show, Good News Today, ever since you started it, I think. Oh, wow. Yes. And it's been a huge encouragement to us as mamas. And we also attended your preaching master class in February on discipling out racism. Yes. And it was phenomenal. It was huge. That is so good. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. No, it was good stuff. And and I just recently finished up a book study uh, through your Center for Racial Reconciliation. And oh, it was amazing. Did you, oh, did you do one of the table talks? I did with... Uh, oh, yeah. Althea Shrug, we did. Uh, I'm still here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It was an encouragement more than you know, and I just I need you to know that you are having a global impact with your ministry. I mean, truly. Yes. Wow. Wow, Kisa, that's so encouraging. Wow, that's amazing. Right? Like, I feel like he's 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 our pastor, right? Our other pastor. I do to you right now. Like we we the homies, yo. We the family. This is it. Yeah, it's been it's been huge for us. I mean, like we love Kentucky and we love our churches here, but sometimes we feel like we're in a bit of a desert and a wilderness in Kentucky mm-hmm. during these times. So just thank you for your leadership on this conversation. It's been just huge for us. So you know, it's been I think um, a lot of people in this season, uh, some areas it's more true than others, but a lot of people feel like they're in the mm-hmm. desert. Like I, I feel like I'm in the Los Angeles area and I, sometimes I just feel like I am by myself. Mm-hmm. Like, does anybody get this or see it? That's why the conference and the gathering, the conversation on discipling out racism is such a, 
was such a big labor of love and uh, such a big deal because I feel like it was the beginning of us starting to put content out there that helps us shape and frame the conversation. And it's almost like, I almost want to feel it, make it feel like, welcome to the green room. Welcome to the green room of minorities in our perspective and our understanding and our experience. And let's create a safe space to say the stuff that we probably normally wouldn't say on the the majority culture stages like a catalyst or other spaces like that. No, we we built a table that was centered on the heart of God and racial reconciliation and invited folks to sit at that table. And it was a joy to have those conversations. And we've gotten great feedback on it. And you know, hey, we go there. It ain't the easiest conversation. It's challenging. We we call it out. We talk about it. But we also give some really great practical ideas. One of my favorite sessions is David Ferguson, the leader of Exponential. He leads this great church in Chicago. I don't know if y'all have gotten that far yet, but David gives practical tips. They took a couple of million dollars out of their bank accounts and put them in the Black banks intentionally to support Black banks and Black communities because he looked at the ratios and the stats on Black banks and how little support they get. So they're backed by, F, you know, the F, FDCA or whatever that they're back. So it's no it's no risk at all. Right. He's leading a campaign with other mega white churches. Take some of the millions you got in the bank and put it in a black bank. So we get as practical as that, which is just really exciting, really exciting for me. As Pastor Tate mentioned, David Ferguson and Community Church developed the Justice Deposits. David was moved to action after witnessing the injustice of the summer of 2020. The Justice Deposits Initiative is challenging churches, businesses, and individuals to simply open checking or savings accounts as a way to safely but intentionally help Black-owned banks, making funds more accessible to Black and minority families and businesses. We'll post the link in our show notes for more information. So even in all, all of this, everything that you're doing, the most important question and first question for us uh, or from us would be, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. And um, let's see, what what version of truth am I going to give you on how am I doing? Um, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm working, I'm writing a book now based off of last summer and kind of journeying through, it won't be new to y'all because y'all didn't heard all my stuff every morning, but I'm putting all that in, the, I'm putting all that in the book. So a part of me is sitting in the, the impact of where we are, um, this, the last election, um, the insurrection or, you know, picnic on the lawn of the Capitol. It all depends on who you talk to, uh, as far as what that, what that actually was at our current time. I, I don't know when this will air, but currently we're, we're watching the George Floyd murder trial every day. Um, I just got my vaccines. So a little bit of COVID anxiety has subsided a little bit, but the reality of everything that happened last year, is almost like we're having to replay it. So it's like, it's a, it's a year. Ooh, it's a year now. The trial, George Floyd, mm-hmm. the Asian community being attacked at the, in the degree that they're being. So it's like, we're having a redo all over again. COVID has been there, but now we're talking about the vaccine of COVID and the potential reactions from that. So I think we're all living through a certain level of trauma and trying to invite the shalom of God to walk with us through that. And I feel like that's how I feel. I feel like things are going well, but there's a level of anxiety and disruption 
that we're just walking through. And I think the goal is just to keep walking mm. so that we can get through. Pastor Tate is right. Some of us are still walking through the trauma of last summer and searching for God's peace in the midst of it. From the Breonna Taylor verdict, the murder of Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd, the injustice movements, the insurrection, AAPI hate, and COVID, trauma is real. We don't have to walk around in despair like those who have no hope, but acknowledging trauma, validating the negative experiences that continue to plague by setting reforms in place are the steps we need to get closer to change. Yeah, yeah, no, well said. Thank you for that. Jeez, you know what? I just want to say, like, one of the things that I so appreciate about you, Pastor Tate, is your honesty mm-hmm. and your humanity. Like, it's just refreshing to hear that we can recognize that this has been a traumatic season for people. Yeah. Yeah. And not to sugarcoat that. No, Thank yeah. You. With real talk. I mean, yeah, not gassing you up at all, just with real talk because we are real humans. We're not churching it and watering it down with these, these words, you know, it's just, yeah. 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 And it's helpful for me to just get that on the table Mm -hmm. and using the word trauma. I mean, in another season that would have been the hyperbole, but Mm -hmm. it's just not like we've experienced and our kids have experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, As moms, our therapist tells us all the time, if you feel it, your kids feel it way more than you do. Yeah. I just assume my my nine year old is on that Nintendo Switch and he ain't paying attention <laughs> to what's yeah. going on. Like yeah. he just that he ain't child, he mm-hmm. ain't studying this. He's living yeah. his best life yeah. over there. No, she says no, they feel it. Yeah. They don't talk about it. They don't have the words. They don't they don't express it the way that we do, but they feel it. She said something so brilliant. Be- Becky White, uh, she's our pastor of counseling at the church. Um, and we're just thinking about our kids and all that they're navigating and different issues and stuff. And we were talking about therapy and she said, you need to normalize therapy in the house and tell them therapy isn't because you're broken. It's because the world is broken mm-hmm. and we need the help to navigate this broken world. And I just thought that's so good. Yeah. If I can get that perspective embedded in my kids now that therapy isn't because you're broken. Yeah but it's because the world is broken mm-hmm. and we need all the help that we can get to navigate and maintain our health and our mind and our mm-hmm. mental health. So we're, we're kind of working on stuff like that and seeing what those rhythms can look like and trying to stay as healthy as possible because it is traumatic. And for us to act like it is not right. is, is, is even more unhealthy than the trauma itself, because not only do you have, a bomb now in the house, but instead of trying to defuse the bomb, you're trying to cover it with blankets and flowers and decor. And it's like, yo, that that's worse than having it. You right. you go, we, we need to try to defuse this thing as much as possible. And I think God invites us in that. Therapy isn't because you are broken, but because the world is broken, is a great quote. According to an article in RenewedSeniors.com, Trauma is defined as a deeply disturbing or distressful experience. Many of us were taught that what happens in your house stays there. In some cases, that might sound reasonable, but the Center for Disease Control in 2020 reported that untreated childhood trauma has lasting negative impact on behaviors, educational performance, and brain development. So when an individual avoids or improperly processes their pain, 
defense mechanisms allow those impacted to continue to function while telling yourself that what you experienced is acceptable or normal. For some, traumatic events are normalized as they become more common and we are desensitized. Currently, our society is repeatedly witnessing violence that we must be intentional not to make our norm. The church is just getting, in my mind, such a bad rap. Everyone is, they're really, really highly critical of her. And I think in many instances, they don't understand her. There is so much room in the biblical narrative and in the workings out of the Church of Jesus Christ to have doubts, to have fear, to have anger, to be frustrated. And a lot of times we're critical of her, the church, and say, we can't keep it real. We say, everybody just acting like it. It's not, it's like, no, that's just not a healthy church. Um, biblically, the Psalms, man, God gives latitude for his people just to go off. Like David would be like, I wish I was dead. I wish my enemies was dead. I wish my enemy's mama was dead. Lord, smite them with your mighty smiter. But nevertheless, Lord, I trust you and I will follow you. And, you know, like David, like go, he has this huge range. And I just think there's opportunity for us to be, we did a series at the church called Blue, Unapologetically Blue. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's, a, there's a season just to literally sit in ashes. As a matter of fact, if you don't sit in ashes, you won't get the beauty of mm-hmm. this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something about sitting in the ashes and out of the ashes comes the beauty. He'll yes. give us beauty for our ashes. Yes. But if we don't sit in the ashes on the other side of this, our beauty will just be cosmetic mm-hmm. and it won't be transformative. And mm-hmm. I think God is trying to give us a beauty that goes beyond the surface mm. and a part of that requires that we spend time in the ashes mm. as family, as community, as neighbor, as couple. It's it's in the ashes where there's healing and there's beauty being evolved mm. and being developed. That's kind of a good transition to what we want to ask you next, because mm-hmm. we want to ask you about the church and the things that we're talking about right now. So one of your colleagues, I guess we could call him in the biz, is Eric Mason. And he said once, it's not division to talk about existing division. It's division to ignore division. Some Christians have wondered why we are talking about race so much and not just focusing on Jesus and the cross. They've acknowledged that slavery was wrong and that there was sin in the world, but let's move on and just focus on the gospel because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So in your opinion, Pastor Tate, are we talking about race too much right now in the church or maybe in some, not enough? Yeah, Dr. Eric Mason is a, is a beast and a friend. He doesn't say anything lightly. All his words are heavy. Uh, as a matter of fact, a great, a great, great plug for him. He just dropped a book called Urban Apologetics that I would encourage everybody to pick up. But yeah, here here's the deal. Here's the deal. That's a, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And 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 I know you shouldn't say the word dumb concerning that, but he, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Here's the here's the problem. Satan wants to set us up and create a strategy. Let me go back. It blows my mind how highly incentivized people are to not hear this. And to not see this, there's a there are millions of dollars, even billions of dollars of investment in blogs, in talking heads, and commentators 
to try to convince people that race is a radical left agenda. Just the issue of racism, period. It's so radicalized. It's so left. It's socialism. It's a, so listen to even how people tag it and how people put it in there. You know what I mean? They, it, and they're highly incentivized. So there's a strategy to get God's people to see this as a non-issue. There's a whole strategy, there's a whole structure that, that just shocked me because je- to talk about it, and that's where Mace gets that concept, to talk about it, they want you to think to even talk about it is divisive. Here's the deal. If Satan can get you to believe that it's not real, it's hard for the Holy Spirit to ever be able to convict you about it. Well, And as believers, mm-hmm. we just roll. It matters how we mm-hmm. treat one another. It matters mm-hmm. how we see one another. Mm-hmm. It matters how we love one another, how we love matters. It's a really big deal of how we treat our siblings and how we treat one another. And that's a big deal to God. Watch this. If you are a believer, even if it was, even if it didn't exist, if it was affecting me, you've got a responsibility to see about me. You, you see what I'm saying? So even if it wasn't real, so the argument is flawed from the door. Even if it wasn't, even if we made it up, it's your job as my brother and sister in Christ is to see how this thing that's made up is affecting my heart and my soul. And it's a burden to me. And you are to help care about my burdens. You are to help see my burdens. You are to help lift my burdens, not to be my burden. And minorities Oftentimes, our well-meaning or sometimes not well-meaning white siblings enter into this conversation not to lift our burden, but inevitably they end up being our burden because they tell us that they can't see our burden. So one of the greatest challenges and one of the greatest heartaches and one of the greatest, to be honest, disappointments is when I've got to defend my tears. Not only am I broken because of a system that is that has handled me or my culture unjustly, but now through my tears, I got to convince you that it's real so that you can even act like you care. Yeah, we don't get to do that to one another. We don't get to treat one another that way. Galatians 6.2 says... Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Friends, let's remember how Christ loved, how he was constantly drawn to those in the margins. Let's challenge ourselves today. Who are we showing love to and how? Is showing the love of Christ permeating our lives the way it should? I'm wondering from your perspective, Pastor Tate, you know, you talked about how Satan has this strategy and a lot of times white Christians are, I don't know if they're unable to see it or what the story is. What is, what's Satan's strategy on this? Why are so many white Christians either afraid of seeing this or being honest about it? What What do you think the strategy is and how can we fight it? You know what? I, I think that's a great question for white leaders, by the way. I, I think that's a great question to give them an opportunity to ask and answer. I would say the impact of it or, well, Reggie Joyner, who's, who runs the Orange organization, uh, he's an older white man. I think Reggie's from the South. I know he's in Georgia now. In an honest moment in um, Discipling Out Racism, I'm interviewing him on a panel and he says, you know, if I'm really honest, power, the loss of power. It's the difference between the protest with George Floyd against George Floyd and the protest at the Capitol on January 6th. It's the motive between the two. In response to George Floyd, they were responding to the abuse of power. At the insurrection, they were responding to the loss of power. 
So whenever they try to equate the two or try to compare the two, there's a fundamental difference. One was a reaction to someone being killed by the abuse of power. January 6th was somebody being killed because of the loss of power. So that's just a dynamic. So fundamentally, I think we all love Jesus, but our sin nature runs through all of us. And we want to we want to assume racism won't drive us to the core of self-centeredness and that we don't have the capacity to let that live in us. Everything else can live in us. I don't know why we want to give racism such a pass and assume that racism won't do that. Of course, racism will. Of course, racism is sinful, just like anything else. And it'll lead in there. So as we exhaustively go after abortion, let's exhaustively go after racism. They're both sins that won't stop until they try to win. So we got to come against both of them just as hard. Why do we get to pick the sins that we want to go after? I'm down. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a donkey or elephant. I bow at the, at the, at the foot of the lamb. So I'm a, I'm a registered independent. So, Hey, let's pull out those picket signs and say no abortion, but we got one hand with that one. Can we, can we pull out the right hand and get a picket sign in this one that says no more racism? Can we get equality for all people? Can we do, can we walk and chew gum at the same time? I'm from the South. We ate catfish with bones. We learned early on how to eat that catfish and spit them bones out. If the church could learn how to do that better, um, I think we'll make more progress in this area. Why are some sins looked at as worse than others? The late Pastor Billy Graham said this, A sin is any thought or action that falls short of God's will. God is perfect, and anything we do that falls short of His perfection is sin. God's will is like the center of that target, and when we sin, we fall short of His will or miss the mark. And this is something we do every day, as the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Even when we aren't aware of it, we commit sin by the things we do or fail to do or by the way we think. This is why we need Christ, for only He can forgive us all our sins and only He can help us live the way we should. We can't forgive ourselves, nor can we change our hearts and make ourselves better in God's eyes. Well, we can just shut it down now. That's all we needed today, right? Thanks, Pastor Tate. We can go home early. As I, as I frustrate my white siblings all across the country. <laughs> Please do. Please keep on frustrating them. Speaking as one of them. Yeah, yeah. you covered some of what, what I was going to ask because I was, I was going to share just... Um, for me, it's one thing to be represented as a Christian, but as a black Christian, you being able to give language, voice, and validation to some of the things that I've felt over the years, but really just kind of unable to verbalize. Um, knowing first and foremost that my identity is in Christ, the verbalization has not only been validating, but encouraging. Just kind of giving me a sense of, okay, yeah, I have felt that, uh, but didn't recognize it because sometimes you just sit in spaces for so long that you get used to the way that that they are. And so we've read how a lot of African-American parishioners have left the white evangelical church and some multi-ethnic churches because they're Caucasian brothers and sisters. uh, And Christ seemed to fall a bit short of acknowledging the hurts that we have experienced. And so you talked about how important it is to acknowledge that. And uh, can you also talk about what that silence and lack of acknowledgement communicates? You know, I'm working on, I I told y'all I'm working on this book. I think we got the title. I think I just got the title like two days ago. So I, uh, I might, I'll say it, I'll say it on here. Are you going to give us the scoop? Are we getting a scoop? I think I'll give I think I'll, I think I'll give you the scoop. It may change a little bit, but here's the word. Here's what we're thinking about the title in the book. How we love matters. 
um, how we love matters and unpacking. Uh, basically, what I'm talking about is as siblings of God, how we love one another matter. And you don't get to define how to love me well. God has to define how to love me well. And you don't get to define what you get to care about concerning me. God gets to define that. And he says, when it comes to loving one another and how we love one another, he says, it matters so much. I want you to love your neighbor better than you love yourself. I want you to serve your neighbor better than you serve yourself. I want you to see them as as primal. So as I talk about that, there's some book titles that didn't make it. Uh, one one of the ones that did make it is Confessions of a Safe Negro. <laughs> Yeah. Now, now, when, when I told my friends, they did just like y'all. They laughed, but they was like, uh, "Don't, don't, don't, don't no. you make that the title of that book? We no. want it to sell. We want, <laughs> we want people to buy it." But I may make it a chapter because I'm saying all that, Kisa, to get to your question. I think many for a while, my strategy was in the multi-ethnic spaces is to create safe spaces for us to do the hard, long work. So there are moments when I would have silenced my voice in an effort for a long-term strategy to take ground by being more strategic with how I use my voice. I'm convinced now that that don't work. What that silence has done, it is, is it has cultivated abusive spiritual relationships where we've sent minorities on a mission to try to get, in in a in a in an effort to 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 celebrate this this banner of diversity only for them to experience microaggression for them to be tokenized for them not to have influence for them to be a face on every flyer poster Instagram slide, but not be a voice in every boardroom, every meeting, in every space. We set minorities up to be used and manipulated and abused. And many of our white sibling leaders had no intention of using them much more than just for the appearance of diversity. So for that, I say to those minorities, it's a difference between being on an assignment and being in an abusive relationship. And I think you've got to ask yourself the question, what's my assignment in this space? And have I allowed myself to not be on assignment, but to actually be abusive? Have I allowed myself to be a token that has no value? The fundamental understanding of token, to be honest, is like you, you go to Chuck E. Cheese or you go to different arcades, they give you token, it they give you tokens, and those tokens are assigned a certain level of currency and value. So I may come into this multi-ethnic space. And initially, it may feel like a token type of deal, but hey, I'm going to bring value and currency, which which changes the dynamic and the understanding of even what I'm taking the word and redeeming it and saying, no, I'm going to be a token that has value and currency, and I'm going to shape the economy of this place. I'm going to use my voice. So I'm not going to be a token as in I just sit over here and I look good for the pictures. No, I'm going to bring currency and value to the organization. If your organization isn't allowing you to bring currency and value, then you are, in fact, a token. And you need to hear the confessions of this formerly safe Negro and say the goal isn't to be safe. The goal is to be on assignment. The goal is to is to use your voice to usher in the kingdom of God. And that's not always that's not always comfortable. It's not always safe. Sometimes that's it's very disruptive. 
It's very disruptive. So I, I think silence for me has changed over the years. Um, there are things that I wouldn't have talked about that I talk about more now because I was always, I never saw it as silence. I wasn't, I was like, I, I thought I was being strategic, but I underestimated the lack of engagement of some of my white Christian sibling leaders. And I was like, oh, I am making it really, really comfortable for them to do absolutely nothing on this issue. And I'm not going to do that anymore. I would go to churches and preach and I would be celebrated as, as a black man on the platform. But the black staff will take me to coffee and say, brother, I'm suffering. Uh, I feel like I'm on a plantation. I feel like my voice is silenced and I'm in meetings where they're using you as credibility but I'm sitting in silence and suffering. So I said, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And if your staff feels like they're on a plantation, you're not going to get me on your platform. That's just not going to, that's just, we're just not going to do that anymore. And some of them made it easy after they heard me talking, they ain't called me back. No way. So some folks, <laughs> some folks helped that decision, but, that, but that's all good too. That's all good too. You know, what just struck me and Kisa, you and I have never talked about this, but I, my whole career have been in communications and marketing for Christian organizations. I've been on staff at a Christian university, at a large Christian church, and their communications team with um, an organization that did video curriculum and that kind of thing. And it always frustrated me when the leaders would come to me and say, you need to put this black person on this brochure or on this cover of whatever the thing is. So Pastor Tate, thanks for bringing that up. And it just reminded me that I, there was a reason why I was frustrated about that. Yeah. The follow-up question to that picture is why should their picture, why should, why should, why should black people be on the cover of our black people in the boardroom Are black people on staff Did black people speak into this program that you're promoting? Have they shaped it at all? Okay. Well, if that's not true, let's not put them on the cover until those things can be true. Hmm. Those are the conversations that we need to have. But we put them on the cover and took a victory lap and we said that was diversity. And we celebrated that for too long and gave too much credit for that for too long. Now it seems disruptive for them to actually have to go and give people of color actual influence because they put them on the cover of the magazine and they thought that was enough. And that's not enough anymore. Thank you for listening to Two Mamas in a Mustard Seed. Please join us next week for part two of Listen to Albert Tate on the Church. Remember to be humble, be kind, be good listeners, and be courageous. Two Mamas in a Mustard Seed is written and produced by Kisa Holke and myself. Music is licensed through musicbed.com. Learn more about us, hear more episodes, and send us your questions and comments at twomamasinamustardseed.com. Dreaming now, cruising down the one-on-one, one-on-one, everybody knows it's